This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hello, dreamers, and welcome to episode 124 of the Dreamers Disease podcast with me, Alex Manzi. And basically, after going through my own battles with depression and anxiety, I wanted to create a platform to help inspire you to make a positive change in your life. And whether that's a discussion about everyday struggles or hearing the story of an inspirational guest, we aim to help you to start becoming the best version of you. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Jerome Flynn, who is probably best known for his role in Game of Thrones as Bron of the Blackwater and also as one half of the musical group Robson and Jerome from the 90s. But Jerome is also involved in a lot of environmental activism, which is, to be honest, a huge part of the reason I wanted to get him on the podcast, because one of the campaigns he's currently involved in is called Farms Not Factories and is helping to educate us about the awful things that happen in factory farming industry, particularly with pigs. And although I would have loved to have sat and talked Game of Thrones for an hour with him, We actually had an incredible deep chat about compassion and about opening up your heart to the oneness of life. And it's very much something that I'm into right now. It's a journey that I'm going on and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what I can do more of to help with our kind of environmental problems and and just be more compassionate to, to not just myself, but everything else in the world. So during this conversation, we spoke about why he took a 10 year break from show business, the routine he starts his day with, changes we both want to see in society, and the environmental crisis that we are facing and more. But before we jump in, I just want to thank you for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and also leave a review on iTunes as it helps bump you know, the podcast up the charts in iTunes, which helps other people find it, which helps spreads the message, which helps them then share it with more friends, etc, etc. So it all feeds into each other. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Jerome. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Actually, I've never done anything quite... I've never done a podcast like this where you sit and talk for an hour, so I'm a bit nervous about... Oh, really? A bit nervous about exposing myself, about oh, what might come out. Yeah, I quite like that then. Like, that gives me an edge. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit nervous because I was like, oh, he's an experienced guy. He's done this, he's done that. Um, I was like, oh, he's, he's probably had loads of conversations and interviews before. But that's I've had loads of now. interviews, but not, you know, and also I'm aware that you're, from what you do, that you're actually interested yeah so i can feel that you know it's quite a lot in my heart that might come out so that makes me a that's bit nervous fine. but that's good so we've had tears on here before we've had all sorts on here before so <laughs> we've had plenty of laughter we've had flirting we've had everything haven't we um, i'll try but, not to flirt with you <laughs> uh, so just to kind of kick start us off can you let the people know who are listening a little bit about who you are and what you do oh my god um <laughs> well i'm my name's jerome flynn um i the thing that's probably provided me with most uh, economic stability is, would be my acting. Um, and I th- I've been really lucky with that um, from quite early on. Success came my way, um, maybe because I had a bashed up face. Um, but yeah, so that I, I was born into an acting family. I don't know how much like, I could go back to um, way back. But yeah, I was born into an acting family. So it was in the culture. Yeah. I was the youngest. I felt a bit inferior. I wasn't as clever as um, brother and sister, but very bohemian. I was blessed to be brought up in the country, the beautiful Kentish countryside. Um, So I had a relationship with nature very naturally early on. Like I would, me and my bro would go rushing out into the woods and Mm -hmm. the fields uh, when we got home, which was deeply precious um, and informing me greatly now. Yeah, I got lucky with the acting. I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen along the way, but 
yeah, so people might know me from most recently um, that um, that uh, Game of Thrones program. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. Exactly. So yeah, I tried. I kind of tried to walk away for ten years from the business, and it came back and got me in the form of that. Mm. Um, but luckily, I'd been. I'd kind of had uh, a taste of um, fame when uh, when I was in my kind of early thirties. Um, some of it was quite you know, uh, in dodgy ways, like um, saying yes to Simon Cowell. Yeah. And, um, but I was well into the acting before then and we'd had a degree, quite a lot of success with Soldier Soldier and things. Yeah. But funny enough, you know, it's like when that, when all the um, singing, because I sang a song in Soldier Soldier. Yeah. And, uh, and for two years, it was like being, it was like being on a Disney ride. It was completely ridiculous. But I had a sense then, a strong sense, and I remember talking with Robson about it that I could, I could have I had the sense that there was, it wasn't about me and my career. There were strings being pulled, uh, and making things happen. I could sense mm. um, that I didn't totally understand that, but I trusted at the time. And in a way, I'm make, I think I'm making more sense of it now. And and in a way, sitting here, talking to you. As a bit of an activist, yeah. um, I'd say I probably spend more of my time being an activist than an actor um, mm. at the moment. Um, but they serve each other. and But yeah, I'm making more sense of that now. And I, I feel like even though I tried to kind of walk away from it all, I was pulled back, mm. however you want to put it. I feel like spirit came and got me and said, we ain't done with you yet. <laughs> um, you got more to give. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I, I, from a young age, I remember, well, certainly in terms of my, in terms of what we're going through at the moment, mm. um, and the craziness of uh, the culture we find ourselves in, from a young, I remember as a 15-year-old boy, I don't know how it got into my house, but I think it was a James Lovelock book, one of the early Gaia books, and his, and he was laying out the web of life and the yeah. the nature of the planet and how it was one inter interdependent being and and at the same time and I don't know if it was the same book it was also prophesied with all these statistics in terms yeah. of uh, the increasing population and the way we're using our resources that was pointing towards I mean at that time it said twenty five thirty years yeah and it's pretty much bang on really? and I remember finding this out and I'd lived quite a uh, you know, I didn't watch the news much. I was in the country. I was—I I had a very loving family. I didn't really know what we were doing, how we were treating our animals and our environment and what it was leading to. And when I found this out, I was... I remember being in tears in the kitchen and really? uh, saying to my mum, what's... Like, I was just in despair saying, what's going on? We're making a complete mess of it. And, and bless her... I hope she probably. I hope she doesn't listen to this because she'll think that I'm, this is me, kind of judging her. For, because it was it, her love for me. I think she just didn't want me to care that much. She said, "You've got to go out and live your life." Mm. Um, and you know, and I love her for that. But here we are, and we've got you know, fifteen-year-olds who can't afford to go out and live their lives. Yeah, and um, and uh, it's very much. You know, very much what is with me now is how to 
how do we contend? You know, how do we walk in these days? Mm. Um, how do we relate to each other? How to, and to the planet around us and to the system we find ourselves in. What an, you know, what the hell do we do? Mm. And um, it's the most important question to me. How do I spend my time? And uh, I, you know, I there's and I'm I'm so grateful. I you know I had a chance to because I well I think I went off and I got into acting and then success came, but I found that. It wasn't really making me happy. Um, in fact, the more that came, the more distant I felt from reality in a mm. way. Why do you think that was then? Um, well, I think because it's, well, show business is, um, it's, it's very easy to kind of separate yourself, especially if, if success is coming and you're kind of put on a pedestal and it's all very unreal and you go off into a film set it's glamorous, well, not glamorous, but it's kind of uh, separated from the reality yeah. in a sense. And you're creating it. It's beautiful, but it's easy to get, especially as a young person, to get, to just kind of forget. I found that invariably I was happier. I could kind of follow my natural path more easily when I wasn't off working for months on end mm. and living that kind of unreal life. And it's not, I'm also really grateful for that life and I made beautiful friends and I had an amazing time and I was very much into celebrating uh, and living life to the full. But something was eating away at me and I started, I was like, started to wonder, it's like, why? Ask the, the big questions. Yeah. Why am I here and what is this for? I could, I could just carry on and take you through the whole path, but... Um, uh, we'll come to it stage <laughs> by stage, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. One of the things that interested me about what you just, you know, what you were just explaining there about yeah. your journey yeah. is you, you described the success you had around music, which, first of all, I find it amazing because to me, it seemed like one of the first instances that I can think of where a song was performed entirely independently on a TV show and there was so much kind of interest around it. Yeah. that it then got signed by you know obviously it was going to be Simon Cow in it before his heyday um yeah. but there was that kind of level it was like it seems to me it was like it was the first uh-huh. you know what am I trying to say like not social media song but do you know what I mean that kind of it's mm. kind of got that feel of like the x factor and you know because these days when people perform a certain song on x factor it might not be anywhere near the final stages but you can still go and yeah. stream that song and you can buy it and it, it kind of had that feel where there was enough attention for it and then as you described you went on this disney ride you called it yeah um and you mentioned that you felt like there was a lot of strings from above pulling and you know kind of mm-hmm. i guess like like a puppeteer moving you around so like w- what was it about that experience that made you feel that was the case when i when i meant the strings being pulled I didn't mean in a bad way. Yeah, no, of course. Um, it helped me trust what was happening. Mm. That there was something else at work. You know, that it was bigger. Obviously, it was great. It, it, it was fun. Uh, <laughs> and me and Robson had each other. I don't think I could have done it on my own. Um, I had a sense it was for a bigger purpose, you know, for whatever reason we were being thrust out there. And I still kind of trust that. Mm. And what it's enabled, it enabled me to actually be able to let go of 
you know, I was brought up in an acting family, so uh, I could also see how my father, in a way, became a victim of it. Mm. You know, he would identify himself through his work, um, whether he was happy or not, and judge himself. So it gave me a chance, in a way, to let go, having that financial security, and really go on in a kind of a spiritual exploration. Yeah. And to answer those, those questions I was talking about. Yeah. And really immerse myself in that. Which was a luxury, but it was I'm I was like desperate for it. I was desperate. Yeah. Because I literally I'd got to the point at the end of that two years singing. I I remember at one point going out to Cliss Old Park and <laughs> putting a blanket over my head, and I just wanted to disappear into the into the earth. Mm. You know. Um, but now I can look back, and and a lot of it makes sense to me and to the journey. Yeah. Since and. Uh, uh, also, um, yeah, I mean, I could tell you that I, I also, when I was 25, um, I awoke one morning. So this was before the music took off. Uh, in relationship to now and what's happening now, I woke one morning into this, uh, into a vision kind of being played out, like a film being played out in mm. my mind's eye. And uh, the world was, it was a very catastrophic environmental, environmentally catastrophic scene. Like the earth was cracking up. Yeah. And uh, there were torrents of water just pouring in in the whole kind of the world, our surface world. And uh, uh, we're, were pouring into these cracks. Wow. And my whole body was, there was like this deep recognition, almost at a cellular level that this is the time I'd chosen to live in and this yeah. was coming. Um, and for about half an hour, I was like wailing. Mm. Without it, My mind wasn't involved. It was almost like a remembrance. It was like deep. It was almost a relief. I was like, oh my God, of course. Um, and I remember picking, still in this, and I, and I found myself in a canoe, and this is the important thing, otherwise it could be just depressing. <laughs> but the canoe, I was with people, and we were going with the flow of the water. Yeah. And there was a very strong message, which was, there's going to come a time in your life, and all you have to, but all you have to do is say yes. Mm. Just keep on saying yes. And, and then I kind of came out of the, of the vision and got on with my life, and only... Even though I've n I've been aware of this encroaching, ecocidal situation that we've created, it wasn't about five months ago. I had a very strong recall. I woke up into the, it was like a flash of mm. that vision. Same thing. Yeah. Wow. Except this, and it was basically the, and it had a, a, an immediate. I understood it was saying, "Do you remember that? That's that's now." Yeah. This we're just yes. going deeply into that. And then things started to come my way like a uh, paper called Deep Adaptation by yeah. Jem Bendel. Mm -hmm. And this the there's a lot of scientists saying that actually they're keeping down the truth of the enormity of what we're facing. Really. And the certainty of the certainty of collapse at least. And um and so that vision and the message with it initially i've i mean i was i did spend spend quite a few months quite frozen and like really like oh my god i don't know 
where to put myself? Should I go and join XR? And, and then a load of grief. I started to feel a load of grief started to come, mm. and I came across Joanna Macy's work, mm -hmm. which I have to really highly, highly recommend because uh, she's really helping. She's really speaking to these times, and how to bear witness to the great unraveling that yeah. is happening, but to to see it as a great turning. Um, which in my heart I felt all my life that w once I found out that we were screwing up, <laughs> I also had a deep sense that of trusting that that there was a journey we were on, yeah, of learning, yeah. But in these times, it's easy to forget; it's easy to lose trust. Mm. And uh, her work has really helped me to reconnect with the fact that oh, this is the shift in consciousness that we that has been prophesized, you know, for millennia. Yeah. By many different traditions, it's the one I'm. I've been longing for in my heart, and I, I think we do. I think there is a dream in the human heart, and a knowing of a, of the next level, if you like. Mm. Whereas our culture will appears to be saying, "No, this is it. This is the way it's always been," and uh, it's very disempowering individually mm. to think that our own hearts and our own fire will make any difference. And uh, her work is very much about turning you, turning you back and saying yes, which is where it, I think when I discovered her work, it was like aligning me with my own dream. It's like, yeah. what is it to say yes, yeah. to turn into life and actually bear? And a large part of that is burying the grief. It's, it's being heartbroken mm. today. Because from that, from allowing yourself to be human and feel, that's where also the energy and the love and, the love for our planet and the love for this life um, fires us enough to and and for each other and what and that we and in that connecting to uh, uh, and re reconnecting she her work is called the work that reconnects yeah because it's it's is it a, a book yeah there's much there's many books but there's one that's kind of formed into one yeah. practice okay. she's about 90 odd now and yeah. so she's known this is this is coming and uh it's been with me i it it also reminds me of because it was a you know it's the other thing about being a british guy an english guy especially an english guy mm. growing up i would there was a lot of uh unrealized shame from what i was taught at school there was a sense i didn't have a sense of connecting to my past mm. um there was something missing there for me and hence, I would often go to the Irish bits of myself or the Celtic mm -hmm. bits. And when, when we went to Wales, which is where I've ended up, it's like we all, I, was, I, could feel, I started to connect to something I could feel rooted in the land. Yeah. And I, you know, there was ancient history, but that felt like ancient and not connected to our own indigenous ancestors. So we weren't taught, I wasn't taught about my own indigenous ancestors, mm. our ancestral spiritual past. And then I read... And I've got, to, I've got to mention these books because um, they're a real gift, I feel, and they've been huge on my, on my journey. Um, and it's all connected in terms of these times when once we, connect, we lived in a connected way, aware of our true nature. Yeah. So I, I read these books called, by Amanda Scott um, called Bo The Boudicca Series. And uh, about 10 years ago, I picked them up. And it's set in the Essene or Akeni tribe, yeah. 
where Boudicca's tribe, as the Romans are coming. Mm-hmm. And it, the effect it had on me, just as I started to really sink into, because she really went into, and she dreamed these books came to her, almost in a, like in a shamanic dreaming. They yeah, just yeah. came through. And uh, after about 50 pages, I broke, it's like my heart broke open. And it's that part of me that had been in terms of, because of course we got, we got colonized. Yeah. There was I feeling guilty about everything we've done, but that's the colonized version of ourselves. So yeah. it was able to start off with, to at least start forgiving myself for not just being, you know, an empirical colonizing coming from a line of colonizing bastards you know that oh there was a time where my people lived where you were born knowing your part in nature understanding the balance of things the Mm. web of life they'd go off and you know do their their dreaming and their uh, vision quests yeah and it's hugely important and those you know there were were stories that were told as in all the indigenous cultures that's we were told stories by our grandmothers and grandfathers it was an oral tradition and then co- the romans and colonization and farming and literature and all these sequence of events that especially the colonization which starting you know and i'm starting to understand my god we've been in trauma mm. from those the loss of our deep connected kind of native culture yeah and the whole look at the whole of the western world and then the effect of that and i think it's important you know for me it's important it's helped me to understand and have compassion for for the whole thing mm-hmm. rather than beat myself up or necessarily look look for the you know look to the point the fingers at any particular emmy much as the romans have got a lot to answer for. <laughs> um but even even then i won't tell you about my italian roots then shall i <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but that even that even I think we all you know, we all came from. There was a time where you could go back ancestrally, and we had a, an entirely different understanding and connection mm. to life. So I understand that we've gone on this arc and we've discovered individualism and autonomy. But now, the crisis that's at our door that mm. we've created is asking us to reconnect. And uh, using all the great things we discovered, but yeah, uh, and, and to reconnect in a hurry and big shifts. Mm. You know, we can look at the big shifts are possible in a in a quick amount of time when people with people joining together in their hearts. And uh, so, from being quite desperate a few months ago, I'm f- actually feeling really impassioned now. And mm. it's like, well, actually, it's not like the world we were living in. You know. 20 years ago was this great place. It was completely... Mm. Utter- yeah, I was born into a privilege and uh, as a lot of us in the Western world were, but a, something really drastic needed to and needs to happen. And I feel it is, you know, I feel that shift. Mm. Do you feel that shift? I do. And I find, what I find really interesting at the minute is, and <laughs> funny enough, I've just read a book called The Tower of Physics, Oh, yeah. which is it's a book i can't remember the author's name but it's written by a physicist and she's making comparisons between modern physics and eastern mysticism so yeah. the connect the, being connected to the whole and the oneness of life yeah versus 
looking at the very minutiae of physics and how that connects to everything else and makes these amazing comparisons between stuff that that ancient ancient yeah. mystics were teaching yeah. for thousands of years versus stuff that scientists and physicists are only just discovering now which tells them exactly what those people were already yeah. learning and absolutely a, a lot of that book really hit home with me in terms of like connecting to the oneness the wholeness of life mm. and all of those things and then when you kind of step back and take a look at where we are now I find it really interesting we're in this position in life where you've got the colonization as you spoke about and the societal structures at one tipping point with the likes of Brexit and Trump and the rest of it yeah. but then we've got this you know climate and you know environmental crisis at the other end yeah. which is at a complete tipping point as well seemingly at a complete tipping point and getting you know closer and closer to past tipping point exactly past tipping point and I just find it really interesting how there's a lot more talk and coverage around one area than there is around another and it's almost like we're aware of what's happening in the environment and the world but the other stuff is still distracting us enough to not want to make the drastic change because this you know societal structure seems like such a more important thing because that's through the years you know like I said since the Roman times we've been brought up in that kind of structure yeah but I do feel that we are you know with the likes of Extinction Rebellion and there was the you know people like Greta Thunberg, Thunberg who's doing all the amazing work she's doing and yeah. the march in, in Montreal funnily enough I was there the week earlier but the week I left yeah. she did a march of like half a million people through the city yeah. Yeah. Um, and th there is like the, the passion for it but it's as much as we can do the individual change which you know we can talk about a little bit later on there still needs to be the the change within the one yeah but i, I feel like we're getting to a, a swings and roundabout part of mm -hmm. that and you know you were just describing that journey from the oneness to the individual yeah but i feel like we're getting to almost like the, the next stage of the cycle which is we've we've become so individual and kind of in that space that it will tip back round towards the oneness Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and you know because everything yeah. seems to be very cyclical in life it's going round and round so I just think those two m big moments that are happening yeah. is such a contrast but also connected at the same they're time they're totally related aren't they I mean you know, I, th I think that's the <laughs> if, if you like the gift of Brexit and Trump coming in is that it's it's kind of making it that much more obvious how, complete, how yeah. completely inadequate and, uh, this culture, the systems that we have, you mm. know, that they have reached the point where it's, it's clear they're life destructive yeah, uh, rather than life nurturing and life serving. But I think that, and those, I think those, those power structures and and the companies and the the ones who have the power are going to be it's going to be are the ones who want to shift less yeah so uh, that's what i feel like and probably want us to believe that we can't make a difference you know but i think that's as you said that's being 
you know the, the 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 protests on the streets i know it's cause it causes a lot of different reactions but the real the real value i feel because i know people who were des- desperate with confusion and grief yeah. before going to them and i went to i went down to one day in, in um into london and it was you could feel that shift in consciousness mm. in the in the middle of the city of london and it's given it's given a lot of not just our young people of people that have, it's like oh i can actually what i do can make a difference and what happens when one or more come together it's the power of the human heart is yeah is so it's been hugely effective for that and um and there are there are thousands hundreds of thousands of people coming together not just with xr there's many there's many collaborations going on yeah and uh and uh everything's in place you know the system has to deeply transform and become a new system but there is it's not like we're lacking in the knowledge of how to do that or the, with the resources to do it and there are people I mean, and there's a knowledge, there's a kind of knowledge, wisdom coming through. I've come across many. There's one in particular um, with extremely impressive group of people um, who've produced this. It's recently been launched. Thing called uh, Codes for Healthy Earth. Okay. Um, which is I'm going to plug it because it's worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, Codes dot Earth, and they've been working for years on collaborating with all sorts of people and setting about it's like a a manifesto for a way of of for these days of citizens coming together mm. and for all for transforming our social you know our economic and governmental and law systems all all kind of uh cord in coming from a place of deep care for all for all of life and we have to it's like just the thought of that makes you just like makes me um my heart is like wow imagine isn't that actually what we all want yeah you know and that means and that would change our whole relationship with each other well it does and you can see that it's like you know i've witnessed it when 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 you've got a, a like a good battle to fight it's like when the hurricane came in 87 mm. um you know my the village I was brought up in in Kent, we hardly knew our neighbours. Not many spoke. You know, people were commuting to and from London. We we'd already kind of lost the community, yeah. at least the heart of that local community. It was on its way out. To I mean I'm exaggerating, and uh, but but that crisis, you know, the trees went for a mile and a half. They blocked the nobody could get out for two weeks, and. Uh, it was beautiful what happened the way people just came and helped each other out and support each other and they'd never they've never been I'd, I'd never experienced the community spirit like that and we're in this is so this is the global situation now. yeah and the oppor- that op- it's an extraordinary opportunity mm. um, I feel um, for yeah for saying yes to life yeah so, so what then do you think are the the changes and the shifts we need to make individually mm-hmm. and on a kind of i guess like day-to-day level in order to help with mm-hmm. not just the narrative but also to shift 
you know what is happening to tilt the scale back the other way and start to i know i know we can't reverse it but you know start to kind of bring things back into balance hmm. well it's a really good question i mean i i can only talk from my own experience it's like i i think how you how you start the day so just from a very individual like how am i gonna how do i want to live these 24 hours i mean as it is we don't know if we've got that's the nature of life is anyway we we think we've got all this time and we really don't know Mm. so it's it's bringing us in touch with our own mortality in a healthy way i believe but so i think how you start the day i mean i get out and i try and get my feet on the earth and connect with the earth barefooted yeah yeah and and I, I, I try and just be conscious of what I'm grateful for in my life. And a gratefulness is a very powerful thing, especially for the natural world. And actually applying that. And they said, I've, I've forgotten which tribe, said without gratefulness, basically we will destroy. We'll destroy our own natural world if we actually forget our connection and our gratitude for it. Because yeah. our gratitude is our connection. Um, so uh, gratefulness I, if meditation is a I highly recommend it it changed my life um, entirely helped me to understand uh, kind of the unitive unifying nature of life that I am part of that I don't really have any the walls you know between me and other that I thought before meditating, meditating. and just also being able to not be taken away by the worrisome monkey mind and actually center oneself in something very strong and uh, already perfect that, that that is in us all you know the heart that we all have which is and has a wisdom beyond any kind of education you need yeah so that's all stuff i think that would have naturally more been there in our in a in our indigenous past when we we've so distracted so I think setting some intentions, but also spending time to appreciate and give gratitude, um, meditation. Yoga is fantastic. So being, and then, you know, I think that's part of, as Joanna Macy would put it, of, of active hope. That hope gets quite a bad rap in the spiritual world. Yeah. Which it. And yeah, if it's wishful thinking that kind of lets you off the hook, it's like, well, I hope, then sure. But there's active hope, which is leaning in, which is like, what do I, leaning into life, leaning into the connectivity of all things and of uh, getting together with people, speaking about these things. You know, just sitting around, I've I've found that um, groups where you sit around and talk about how you feel. Yeah. That's really powerful. Number one. Because mm. you start, it's like, it brings you together. Mm. You're holding a space. But also that, as I said, it's very important to get in touch with one's grief and one's anger. Because yeah. fr- then the love is there. Um, grief and love. Grief is a reflection. It's, it's, it's just a sign of how much we love something. And it's almost like we're, we're frightened to, to reconnect with our love of life because mm. that's that's all this is about 
That's why we've, you know, uh, we've become disconnected from that love of life and also our understanding that we are totally dependent on the web of life. Um, so reading Joanna Macy, um, <laughs> connecting with people and getting together locally and talking about it and, and become, that's, it's like that's becoming resilient together in community, wherever you are. You know, I'm, I've got my beloved brother's family, they're doing it in East London. There are people coming together and meeting and being active. So that's active hope is crucial. Otherwise, you can get, feel disempowered and frozen and distracted. Yeah. Spend as much time as you can. I mean, it's a terrible. It's like I'm having to be, really force myself not to kind of go online, you know, to ban the phone from my bedroom so that before I go to bed, I can be not yeah. distracted by that. And, and, and whilst I wake up, it's like, okay, let's set some intentions. Because whatever crisis we're in, I don't even know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. So how do I want this day to be? Deep engagement, joyful engagement with life. Now, I'm not pretending that, that, you know, that I've got it cracked. Yeah, of course. But I have to keep going back. Otherwise, it's... If I don't take that time, mm. uh, self-nurturing time and uh, time for that resilience and connecting with the heart and visioning, I've, I, have a, I have a very uh, strong uh, belief. But my experience tells me if you sit and from your heart call in the future and use your thought and your feeling, I believe those are like the creative tools, our thought and our feeling and our heart. Uh, that's our co-creation with the creative force. We are yeah. part of that. And I think that type of prayer, if you like, um, is really important. Yeah. And it's really important to do with others. And it's powerful. And yeah. I've experienced very, uh, very real proof of that, that type of... Um, there are other ways of putting it. You could call it prayer or positive thinking or... The law of attraction. Yeah, uh, it's a real thing. Yeah, and I, I find that you know people who listen regularly to to this podcast know that I'm quite big into my meditation, and yeah. many of the kind of practices you've just spoken about, like showing gratitude and you know all those things that kind of just put you back in touch to the why of life. And I find that the days where I let the meditation slip, yeah, even if it's just like two days, three days, sometimes. I really feel the impact it has on me yeah. in a, in a negative way yeah. in terms of, I feel the shift of energy in myself yeah. towards something else and away from that connectedness of yeah. to me and everything else. And, and I find that when I do have the regular meditation practice, it, everything seems to just flow a little bit yep. smoother and a little bit easier. And even if it's just 10 minutes every day, you know, it's like, mm just that little 10 minutes in one mm. day and then the next day and then the next day if you just focus on that yeah that that like you said it has for me it's really life-changing as well and it's yeah. it, it kind of has a, a power within it that i can't really describe but it just it does something to you that that opens it almost like unlocks a new you know little level within yourself it's true and it's like i just find it one of those amazing really simple practices that you can do yeah, yeah. And it it takes no time. It could be three minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
it could be no time at all yeah. and it's the benefits of it are huge for that reason mm. yeah it's true and I find that you know you were saying before that when you sit down and you talk about these things with other people you know I've, I've just started another part within the podcast where I'm starting to have like group discussions around nice. kind of vulnerable topics so it might be uh, talking about dealing with emotions or going to therapy or um, sustainability but you know a conversation that flows between yeah. a, a small group of people and once you open that energy up into a space it does flow and it does mm. go around and you feed off of each other and you can sense mm. the, the change in each other's moods and it, it can yeah. be a really powerful thing in itself and I think mm. having those narratives open and being open to have them is like is super important and I, and I definitely neglected that for a lot of my life yeah you know? No, and it's, I think, if you can create a safe space with others where there are some guidelines, it's understood that there's not self-judgment going to be bandied about. Yeah. So you feel you can be vulnerable. It's, um, they, they say that was the original, like, confession. Mm. And uh, in biblical times, it was sitting, or it wasn't, like, confessing to a priest of, oh, I've done wrong. It was just being vulnerable, sitting around. And that's something, you know, that's something we've lost from our culture. We, we, used, to, we used to sit in our roundhouses, you know, mm. in the tribes. And that's, we didn't have it. You know, that was our lives and our, it was our interconnectedness and yeah. our sharing of our journey. And what you said about um, just dedicating some first thing of the day to practice because it's like you're making... Like even if it's only three minutes, you're making a commitment to for the love of yourself and of life. It's like, and that's a strong just to sit, and that's a strong. It's a strong thing to do, mm. and uh, yeah, it's good to. It's really good to hear you're having those group, getting mm. those groups together. Yeah, and why do you think then that we've lost that sense of sitting down and having those kind of vulnerable and open conversations why do you think that's such a because it, it seems like it's a bit of a taboo like these days especially for guys especially for guys yeah why do you think that's the case well I, you know I, th I I think you'd have to go back you know you start have to going way back to the colonisation yeah blaming the Romans again blame yeah. the Romans <laughs> I'm sorry Alex um so, but it's a, obviously that's a big question. I mean, and you could you could come, you know, you could zip forward into our modern disconnected culture, where our communities have been split up. They're based mm. on something else now. People go to areas very often, uh, not for the community. It's more for the proximity to schools or yeah, or town. Our commuters, our halls, our places of gathering of communal gathering aren't what they were uh things are geared towards uh progress of another kind yeah progress you know this whole so i could go off on one there <laughs> but um and then you've got men you know and how we weren't brought up with the you know i didn't have men i love my dad Desperately, but he didn't have an understanding from his own father about being vulnerable and sharing of his heart and just being human in that way. 
Um, so it's you know we've been brought up with it, and it's you know, there's such there's such this kind of warped male. I don't like the word uh, toxic, but this, I'd say this this warped maleness of thinking we need to we think you know our pride we need to know mm. to be in control. All of that has been, and I think with our if you look, we've disconnected from our own from nature is also disconnecting from our own softness from our own feminine side yeah. so yeah all that all that's happened but as you are probably experiencing when it when it happens and you get together it's like people come alive mm. there's love flowing in the midst of so this that's what i'm that's why i'm feeling it's like yes this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for our hearts, like longing, yeah. to start coming forth. And uh, we are due. We're due a leap in consciousness. Yeah, but it is happening. It is it's happening. happening. And, you know, you can even see from like things like um, crystals and the whole kind of new industry that's popping up around crystals and people being fascinated by yeah. the kind of energies within them and. You know, yeah. horoscopes is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And, you know, even conversations like this is, yeah. and conversation around the mental health, there's all these kind of mm -hmm. conversations around these more conscious um, subjects that yeah. are starting to pop up and grow and become almost, yeah. um, I want to say mainstream, but, you know, for want of a better word, mainstream. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is part of it, it's part of the shift and it's a part of us looking for, a way to connect back to yeah. the original source of life. Mm. And, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned like the sense of community and those sort of things. And I know that, you know, there's um, <laughs> Mick, funnily enough, who's sat over there. He's, he's from one of the few blue zones in the world. He's from Sardinia. And, um, you know, the blue zones are, are, are zones in the world. I can't remember how many, Anton will know. How many blue zones are there? Nine. Remind me about the blue zones. So the blue zones are um, areas in the world where people tend to live oh. a lot longer than oh, anywhere yeah. else. And what a lot of the studies have found is that it boils down to the sense of community yeah. because the older generation, so the grandparents and the great-grandparents who are living well into their 90s and hundreds in some cases, mm. they, they have a great part to play within the community. Mm. So it's the, the whole structure around them is based around the togetherness yeah and because that's there everyone rises together yeah um i can't remember where i was going with that point but it's like that that yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is i feel like we're kind of starting to reach out for it more whether it's a a really conscious decision based on where we are yeah with everything else and you know but i feel like it's there and i feel like we're we're, we're close to it being there being like a big shift yeah I, I agree i can i can feel that too and it's easy to get you know what well, we're fed through most media it's it would have you believe that it's not because it, yeah. it kind of i don't think it's like a necessarily a big conspiracy to stop but it's like that's just the nature of our culture and the media it, it is keeping us down i don't think there's a group who are kind of particularly plotting it although i know some people would disagree with that yeah um, but also what you said about elders, it's, it's hugely crucial. I think mm. uh, having, and, and 
you know, I pray, I really pray that that is going to be a shift in terms of how, well, it's up to us in our communities. Um, but uh, that lack of, it's almost like a, you know, becoming old is, in this culture, is not a cool thing. Yeah. And yet it's a crucial, that relationship with, with elders and the and uh, also for for us who are getting older to understand that there's a really crucial role there and kind of be prepared to hold that and take responsibility uh for it's really important for our young people i think to otherwise it would be yeah if you're not showing the way in some way especially now even though even though you know we're responsible for the mess we've got in if it's very important to keep that that joy to show that and uh, that active hope in our hearts mm. in our relationships just to keep loving in the midst of this because i think that means that that shift is possible and that anything is possible um and it's also it's there's a resilience in that because i think we're we going to need a lot of resilience in the next yeah. uh, few generations for sure and i feel i feel like we're we're that generation you know, particularly people who are kind of like you you're you're, you're yeah. a different generation to me no but do you know but, what i mean we're, yeah, yeah. we're still experiencing the same moment but i feel like yeah. the generation i'm at we're at that real middle ground point because mm. we have got the power now with all of the resources we have with all of the knowledge that we're gaining with all of the kind of incredible you know bits of activism and education that's out there to really help shape the next generation that comes along and they're the ones who can really benefit slash produce the change that we need to start seeing you know we can start sort of like working on it but yeah, i feel like they're the ones who can really yeah, initiate it or who can go beyond the initiation yeah, and yeah. really start to action stuff so i feel like that's why we're kind of at this really important stage um, and I know you've been involved in quite a few different, uh, like you said, you've been more of an activist recently than an actor. Um, so what are some of the things that you've kind of taken on board through the various projects that you've been involved in? Mm. And, and what are some of the projects you've been involved in? Well, there's one, uh, the welfare of animals is, is always... I was brought up very close. My my mum used to rescue. It was a bit a bit like the Gerald Darrell household. Uh, she used to rescue animals. Oh, really? And uh, so we always had them, and often wild come in, and then we'd let and like foxes, the the like four cub fox cubs came and lived with us because their mothers had, mother father been gassed, and so I had that connection to to wildlife um, very early on. So that the kind of welfare of animals and uh i'm in the, i'm at the moment in fact tomorrow i'm going to uh i'm i've been fronting a campaign for a wonderful organization called farms not factories mm -hmm. uh, inspired by an amazing woman called tracy worcester who's just given her life to trying to bring the horror of uh, factory farming to an end and she's where she's put her focus is in pigs because it's like there's so much across the board with uh, with our farm animals and so many details so she's concentrating on pigs because mm -hmm. she, she wants to try and get you know be successful and 
So, um, I mean, it's just, uh, it's still, it's just extraordinary that we're, that we're still, and it's such an example of how we, uh, I mean, tomorrow I'm getting in a cage in the middle of Oxford Street with a pig next to me. Really? Um, yeah, and we're calling a press call just to draw attention and then for yeah. be able to speak, you know, and to be able to, it's like, and that cage for me represents this, it's like, how can we, how is it we're still, it's not only still going, but it's still being subsidized by the government, encouraged. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, for, it's a, like a metaphor for also the cage around our heart, because there must be, for us to be able to treat any animal. Um, you know, there are some that are more suitable to graze farming, um, but any animal that we are going to eat, it's like we have, we've got to give them, we've got to love them and give them a life mm. where they can have, a, they can roam free and play. And pig, it's like this, there's how many millions of pigs, you never see the light of day. Yes. And in this case, like uh, the pregnant sow, because they just become pregnant machines. So twice a year they will, and, and for the six weeks, once they've had uh, their babies, they're in a cage they can't move they're wow. literally in a metal cage for you know for the profit of the company and to me i just did a sky news interview and the lady and i think she didn't she didn't mean it in a bad way but she said well isn't it we're doing it isn't it because there's a demand there's a demand for it like well yeah but that's not a reason to do to it to do it exactly the demand, what is the demand now? If you're talking demand, there's a demand to get our house in order, mm. you know, to return to our humanity. That's the demand. And uh, we know that we don't need the amount of meat we eat to survive. Mm. Um, it's, uh, so that is something, in answer to your question, that's something I'm really deeply passionate about. Um, I've, I mean, there's many. I have to admit, I'm a bit of an. I've said yes to too many things, but, <laughs> but it's very hard, you know. And it's been a way that I've felt I've been able to kind of balance the vacuousness of the fame because yeah. it can be pretty, uh, you know, meaningless. But this has given helped me to feel like, yeah, I can get my heart behind. There's so many things to. I've just become. Uh, I've just become a patron, an ambassador for. Uh, tree sisters okay and there are many mainly formed by women which isn't a, a surprise um but tree sisters as mara amazing woman called claire dubois who herself had a vision in the middle of a car crash as she was heading towards a tree wow her car was heading towards a tree and she got a flash of plant plant trees plant reforest the world wow and she set up tree sisters and they are doing, um, they're, they're really, every, everything that's given is going to planting trees and they're collaborating with uh, indigenous people all over the world um, and empowering them to uh, get their land back as well and uh, get the lungs of the earth back. But that's a, huge, like, that's a hugely positive, and we can all do that. It's like something like 40 cents, 40 pence to plant a tree. Yeah. Um, 
you can now they're doing it so you can track your own forest you know you and your family or your company can buy a forest and you can track it um there's an awful lot of reforesting going and rewilding going on and it's like so that's hugely positive um i'm but uh, yeah quite a few different charities yes to life is a wonderful uh charity set up by, by a friend of mine he lost his daughter who was a friend of mine um but that's finding a way to uh, approach cancer um if you like in a uh, outside of the western medicine model so in a way you're saying yes to life and western doesn't go out the window but there's the alternative uh ways um therapy and support um i'm a world vision ambassador so they do a lot of work with child soldiers yeah um, god i went to africa in in february and met some of the families um out in south sudan and i'm really like i mean i'm really lucky to have to be able to do these things because they're in a, in like a trip like that is like it's life changing to be and go and spend time with those I, I sat in a traditional village with the families and with the kids who were being supported by the world vision program in mm-hmm. terms of rehabilitating their life but um yeah there's a few others yeah mindfulness in schools yeah um very passionate about that and i've seen you know in my own local school the difference that uh bringing introducing mindfulness to the kids and the teachers can bring to the school It literally i feel has had a large part in turning around my local school in st david's and it's an amazing place now to go in. Mm. Oh, nice. Um Yeah, so there's there's so much. Yeah. It's funny cuz I was going to ask actually whilst you were kind of talking there about all these different, you know, charities and things that you're involved in. I was actually going to ask about what do you think we need to do going back to the point earlier of like the yeah. next generation. Yeah. Like what do you think we need to do in schools to yeah. educate on this because you know, I've got this thing that I always kind of mention is that you know, when I started secondary school, so when you were 11, 12, was in 1999. And the curriculum to what kids are being learned today is probably exactly the same as it was, mm. you know, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, and probably likewise to back when you started secondary school and, you know, there's just not enough movement and change in mm. the education system in terms of what, tools we need to educate our children mm. not only about life yeah, yeah. but about everything else that's associated to that and yeah. you know one of the things that I've always said is that we need to have some sort of education around mindfulness for sure because mm. yeah. it plays such a huge role but then also the education around you know the things we've just been talking about with factory farming and mm. you know all these other aspects yeah I think they go entirely they're entirely connected aren't they because i think that's i think the dalai lama said if all the kids in the world practice mindfulness we'd have a peaceful world yeah and there's a re- there's a reason he says that he's not a f- i mean i think he's one of our true world leaders as far as i'm concerned but um it's like what is more important that's what was that was that feeling when i left school is like because there's different elements. It's not knowing my ancestral heritage, maybe my indigenous heritage, but it's also like, who am I? 
Mm. You know, this self-education, understanding of self, which I suppose you could point at, at um, maybe not so much anymore, but like uh, a Tibetan upbringing. They would, have, they would have naturally been brought up meditating and understanding mm. a sense of self. And in understanding a sense of self, you're going to understand and feel that connection because that's I for me that's one of the byproducts of meditating is the feeling of being connected to yeah. nature yeah re reconnecting us so then you're naturally going to be wanting to do what you can to but it's the, the and the kids pick it up really quickly mm. but I I agree it's like where is the emphasis going you know and and likewise, just getting, sitting around with some young people and allowing them to share how they feel because it's an intense situation to be brought, to be brought up in this. Mm. But being vulnerable with you, as I said, it's so crucial. And to also have adults being vulnerable there with you. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, it's a really, crucial part of what needs to happen with our young people as well you know it's like I think I've got a friend with a daughter back home and she's been getting and she's been struggling and kind of getting into trouble and she asked her and her, her mate how much time do you worry spend worrying about what people think of you mm. and they said I think they said 95% of the time so that culture, it's like this court. Mm. It's literally like being in a court of the social media. Yeah. And it's viewing yourself through those eyes and uh, mixed with learning. They can't escape, you know, the, the uh, kind of ecocidal climate crisis that's going on and being born into that and not being... How do you, like, process that? It's so important for us to get together and talk with our young people and uh, engage them mm. uh, yeah man education the break it's yeah it's got to change hasn't it yeah so what, what what changes would you like to see within that well I'd put I'd put health and well-being first what what is what's more important <laughs> What is more important than the health and well-being of our young people now, mm. given, like you said, the responsibility that they have and what they're walking into and the resilience they're going to need? You know, real solid grounding in themselves and understanding of their own true nature. That's where our, you know, our true power comes from. It's not from the... I'm not saying... it's, But it's not from the O's the O-levels and A-levels that we pick up and the qualifications, we know, we've, well, that's been proved. You know, the, why, why are there more young men killing themselves now than... Uh, it's not because they're not... Edu it's not because of that type of education. Yeah, it's a different type, yeah. Cause I think is, it, is the stat, guys under the age of 35, the biggest threat to themselves is themselves. In something, terms of yeah, the biggest, the biggest cause of death for guys under thirty-five is suicide. Something like that. Stat. I know indirectly and directly four or five young men in the last couple of years. Mm. 
and uh, it's become the scary thing is it's 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 become kind of a viable choice because it's in the and three of those followed suit yeah so it's like oh that's an option mm, yeah which is we're in a scary in itself we're in a culture where it's an option and you can from one point of view if you haven't it's like if we're not then you can understand why it would be because mm. the rest don't look so good you know um, so yeah a whole I mean ultimately uh, the systems our system it needs a big big change mm. and we're the ones that's up to because it ain't going to do it by itself we are it and we're within it so uh you know we the, it's been it's been proven in our past that when enough of a percentage of the population gather together to make change there's a tipping point yeah and uh we're getting there we're getting there yeah i think it's it's just definitely a slow process and i think you know bringing it back to the meditation you know we were talking about earlier is have you ever read um, any of dr joe Dispenza's work yeah i just come across him actually he's cool yeah he's really cool so he he talks quite heavily about meditation and the practices of it but there's there's some studies in one of the books of his i've read i think it was becoming supernatural yeah where he talks about they monitor the actual energy in the room when he does his course like uh seminars and courses and stuff and it's over a course of like say three four days and the times when people are meditating together as yeah. a collective, there's a big shift in the energy. So again, I guess it comes back to the whole oneness and trying to bring people to that level of connectedness or connectivity or whatever you want to call it to then allow everyone to tap into, okay, we need to make a, a change and start to yeah. not just change within ourselves, but to help change the environment around us because ultimately it starts with you, right? Because like you said, you know, you've got your morning practices. I've got my morning and even evening practices. Yeah. And those changes start with me, but because I've opened myself up to those and have those in in, in place in my life, I've gone through various other stages of exploring different practices and ideas so that's mm. funny enough i was writing something about this earlier today on you know it started with regular exercise and regular meditation and then it became um okay how can i be more conscious of what i'm consuming so yeah. instead of taking your really bog standard off the shelf protein products after a work- workout for example yeah. i started to go for plant-based ones because i didn't want to put chemicals into my body yeah. when i could there was a plant-based option and then it went into you know, different types of meditation and it kind of evolving all the time. And, you know, at, at this moment, I've been, since the start of this month, actually, I've been eating vegetarian. And as I said, as someone of Italian descent, <laughs> cutting meat out of your diet is, you know, yeah. it would have seen, seemed ridiculous to me mm-hmm. a year ago, two years ago. Yeah. But, you know, I've done it and I'm not, I don't really miss no. the meat or the, and I'm, I'm starting to really feel the benefits of that in terms yeah. of, feeling less bloated and i feel more like light and more clarity and more you know the, all Wonderful. these things that we don't necessarily understand but again yeah. it goes back to you have to start with you and those Absolutely. little steps you can make and then everything else starts to sort of seemingly just 
fall into place around it. And I think that's the education we need to give to the kids. You're absolutely right. If you start with, it could be a mindfulness practice or or Mm. more specifically meditation or yoga or something. Nature connection. Exactly. Really crucial. Then you'll start to see these. It will flow. Yeah. It will flow. The change will happen then because it's like, yeah, in that, that sense of wholeness in oneself, you're going to naturally. Yeah. You're going to naturally want to. That's, I guess, if you like the. It's the I th- we all have a, the, the bodhisattva in us. Yeah. You know, the one who. Who ain't going to stop until everything's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, that's in, I think, that's in the human heart. Yeah. And how how do you carry these kind of principles, I guess, into your work? Because, you know, like you said, a lot of people will know you from. I've got to say, I'm, look, I'm talk- I might be talking a good talk. <laughs> But I'm not, I don't want to give the impression like I'm this uh, kind of enlightened being because I'm a human fuck up like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, how did I take it into work? Yeah, because what I was going to say is, you know, most people who know you as Bron of the Blackwater. Bron of the Blackwater. And, you know, he's very much the opposite of everything we've been speaking about, very much a mercenary, very much a. So, from a work perspective, yeah. you're representing a different side of life. So how, how do you mm. carry those principles across into work, mm. into, you know, such a, a character well, or an environment that you're trying to portray through that? Yeah, I mean, all of that, all of him, all of that bronness, you know, it's within me. Mm. I'm a rogue, you know, I've got that rogue in me. Um, I've got that part of me that wants to, you know, might have felt inferior as a younger when I was younger and wants to make my way to the top. You know, I understand that's our human nature. Yeah. You know, there are some things I won't take if I feel it's just like a negative uh, message that the piece hasn't got something in it. Right. Especially now it's like, no, I don't, don't, you know, I look for something with a higher vibration, but you know, bronze, a wonderful character. I love his, I love his humor. Um, A lot of my best friends, I kind of, that humor came from them okay time when i started went up to london went to drama school all these sardonic northerners um so it yeah i don't have any in fact i love playing characters like that with and it's i think it's important you see i'm not going to just not play characters that because we all have the light and the dark don't we Mm. um but in terms of maybe how i am during the day on set and how i you know whether I just what I distract myself with, or you know, catching my ego as it, if it starts to fly off into yeah. the stratosphere or whatever. Just being mindful and awake, and one, enjoying the connection of the family on set, and trying just to stay present. So that that's how it would have affected me, because I used to feel like I, you know, I had my spiritual life and then I had my working life. But yeah. I think if if anything, that's having done. A, a fair amount of work on myself. I feel like now there's a kind of integration. Yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to s- split them up. Um, and in fact, now I see how they. It made sense, you know, and they serve each other. Um, and stories are important, you know. Stories are important, and I didn't. It's funny with Game of Thrones because I, it's you know, I, I feel there's a big metaphor there. You know, and when I took it. I was a bit worried, you know, 
I was a bit worried that I was getting involved with kind of something that was a bit kind of crappy American <laughs> medieval history. I was like, oh, God, fingers crossed. Um, didn't know how it was going to go. They wouldn't show us the script, I don't think, um, before we took. And yeah, it turned out to be this one, you know, this, this wonderful kind of exploration of the, of the human, the whole human condition, everything we've been talking about is laid out. And it's, it's turned into the most popular show on the planet. And the story it's telling is, like I say, it's like all this, our separateness and all these, uh, all these families and, um, and kings and queens fighting for power. And then this threat comes and they have the only way to overcome the threat is they have to come together and collaborate. And I love that. Mm. I love the fact that that metaphor, and I mean, this is, maybe is not, but the fact that a young, a young Northern girl um, was the one who got, you know, who took out the Night King. Yeah. I like that, the fact that, Gre you know, with Greta Thunberg doing what she does, yeah. doing what she's uh, doing and having the effect she has, I can also draw that metaphor. But the, for the other one, I think it's perfect. Um, and it's perfect that it has been such a popular story because we, it's like we are drawn to our past and our history and the time when things were slightly more wild mm. and the magic of it. And then it's like, oh, my God. It's also an extraordinary allegory for our times yeah definitely and you know to say <laughs> to say i was obsessed with it was probably a slight understatement i was kind of the the kind of person who after every episode would be on youtube you know looking for the conspiracy theories and reading this and in the forums and having conversations with people do you think what do you think about this what do you think about that and i think you know some of the comparisons you just made there and also just from what we were talking about earlier when you, you think about the political side of things that we're speaking about and then the environmental yeah. state of things i think that was very much represented in the you know the game of thrones yeah. versus you know the threat coming from the north and also you've got you know like the north the north trying to break away from the rest of which could be you know us at the minute and brexit and all those sorts of things yeah but was that the kind of feeling that you guys had whilst working on it that there was a kind of representation of these modern times within the show or is it something that on in hindsight you look back on and go oh, actually yeah if you you could tie these things um together. certainly in terms of the human condition yeah and the polit present political condition that way it wasn't until kind of toward the end of the last and we were doing the last season and with the climate crisis because that's what I meant in terms of the metaphor, yeah. in terms of the white, the white walkers, walkers yeah. winter is coming kind of thing. It wasn't till then, and then I, that I started thinking, oh my God, and then I read a, an article with George, um, who wrote it, who said he didn't realise until, I think it was he was watching the second season, but I, I feel, and he didn't, so he didn't consciously when he was writing mean to be doing that, but I think there's a good. It, it was going on in his. I think there was something going on in his subconscious mm. there. It was just coming through. So yeah, it's actually t turned out. I think to be more of a powerful story than I hope. It's certainly not the the pile of American crap that I thought. It was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a very funny one. There's a very funny. Well, I find it very funny. Well, I, I find it very alarming at the time. But I remember when I got when I was offered the part. Yeah. 
So the people, obviously, the, the people that offered, offered it me were the American writers and producers, Dan and David, who didn't know anything about my past here or my singing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Career. So somebody said, you know, when I got it, I didn't know anything about Game of Thrones. And somebody said, you want to look at the, the blogs coming up, uh, Jerome? Somebody sent me something. And I never even, didn't even know, know anything about blogs. But obviously, these fans of the books, and the English ones, literally, I, there was one guy who said, because they were talking, who's going to be cast as Bronn, blah, blah. And then it comes down to, it's Jerome Flynn. And uh, one guy said, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I was like, and it was quite hurtful. I think it's that impression that I'd given, you know, singing old pop songs with Robson. It was the last thing they could imagine. That yeah. It was Bron of the Blackwater, you know, with my blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know. Singing love songs. Yeah, doing silly dances on the roof of New York building. So um, I hope, I hope I've kind of a re- um reclaimed some street cred. The bronze brought that back. But it was funny. It was, that was literally... Uh, it's a very sad day for quite a lot of people from what I could gather. <laughs> it's funny because having been such a big fan of it and seeing you as Bron, in my mind, I'd built up an idea of who you were as well. Because, like you said, a lot of the times when you play a character, there's a little bit of that character in you as an actor. Hence, why you relate to the role sometimes, right? So. I had this idea of like, okay, like he's going to be like this, butch uh-huh. kind of, uh-huh. and even, you know, the role you played in John Wick 3 recently, it's like a kind of butch kind of alpha male kind of role. Yeah. But then as I was obviously like researching and doing some reading and then reading previous interviews and then we had that short phone call earlier, I was like, oh my God, this is not what I expected at all. <laughs> this is like, but, you know, I think that's kind of testament, isn't it? To like, A, you're, the way you played the role, but how you can step into something like that mm-hmm. and portray it the way it's meant to be portrayed mm. despite not necessarily being like yeah that yeah it's one of the that's why i love acting though, mm. it allows you to play out you know help me to play out those archetypes in myself mm. like when i first started bron the first thing i had to do was there was an ambush and i think i had to kill about six or seven people <laughs> You know, with all his machete, sword. Mm. And I didn't, it's like when the camera rolled, um, but it's like it tapped into something very, you know, very primal. Mm. Within, given the situation I was in, I could really let loose. <laughs> um, so I love that. Um, no, and that's for me, the be- that's the best, that's the best bit about acting is, 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 I think also the, the, all the meditation, all this experience that I've had coming back to acting, if you like, I, f- I feel freer with it and able to kind of treat it a bit like a kind of a channeling, just tuning into those energies and those archetypes rather than like a less, hopefully less self-conscious and just able to let that creativity flow. So, yeah, no, it's been, it's been kind to me. Yeah. So, so what what are the things that you've learned on on this journey since you had you had the the relative success with the music career you mm-hmm. had a kind of break in a, in a sense and kind of did that self discovery journey mm. to then step back into the acting world via Game of Thrones and via that character mm-hmm. and of course all the work that you've been doing 
outside of that like mm. what what are the biggest lessons you've learned personally through that journey oh god you mean um you mean what i learned when i was out or learned through just, coming back just, just the, the whole, the whole of it yeah because like, it's quite it's, yeah because it's quite a it's it's quite a bit of a journey full of ebbs and flows Certainly and peaks is. and troughs and yeah you know all of it so the for me there's 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 kind of i guess four key points mm. of in it of stepping away from the success mm. then taking time for yourself then yeah. stepping back into like something mm. that was a okay whether you knew it a long-term project yeah. or not and then you know all of the work you do around it well i think yeah so i think that was the initial learning was oh you know I had a. I really wanted to be an actor. I loved it and everything, and I got famous. It was like, ah, that ain't filling me up. That's not doing it. And yet, here I am, and really lucky. And so, what is, you know, okay? What else is it? Falling in love, and you know, it would be occasionally, um, hugely. But also, I found that that became unrealistic. I'd throw everything into that. Um, and put far too much on uh, the, unf the unfortunate uh, lady, whichever one that I would put all, all, uh, all my hopes and dreams into. So the spiritual path, you know, like why, who am I then? Uh, and uh, why am I here? And learning of my connection uh, to all of life and uh, kinship with all of life obviously changed and and i'm not saying that i you know i had that experience and i walked around in that state but it was like a very it's like enough of it returning to that place which is why we do practice it brings you back out of that the place that needs to identify from so it, there was a freedom in that of not of uh, thinking that i have to be a certain way uh, a certain type of man have to have a certain type of success or um, uh, oh my god it's a difficult question but <laughs> if so and I think you know as I've gone it's and being aware of what's been happening as we as we walk this this human journey um, that experience has fed me and wanted you know I feel like there's something choiceless about uh, I can't help but care at a certain level and I will try and distract myself but then I feel that suffering if I'm mm. kind of just looking after myself in, in a closed way so it's given me passion uh, for the value of life and connectivity with each other and uh, the environment. And coming back to acting, well, I saw, I started to trust more what life brought to me and that there was a reason for it and that it could be integrated and to be grateful also for what it brought me. Um, and that telling stories is important but also trust that I was kind of thrown out there also for not just for those reasons, for the telling of stories, but that maybe my heart, you know, 
also had something to say for itself. Mm. And I'm kind of get this is actually part of it. Because I said to myself at the beginning of the year, it's like, i got to let my heart speak a bit more because yeah. it wants to. And so this is part of it. And um, I don't know if I... What has it taught me? Life counts, you know, everything we do. And um, I'm just trying. That's my prayer every morning, that it's like, make this count. And I, I slip off the track as much as any of us. Um, but maybe perhaps one of the learnings is I get, I've learning tried to uh, not give myself such a hard time when I do. Yeah. And that that's natural. And you can get back on track, back into your heart and leaning into uh, life uh, very quickly with one breath. So, yeah, and I think, I think that's a really powerful and beautiful message because there's so much to take from all of it, really. Um, and just just to kind of, I guess, give some more context to the campaign that you're involved in, Farms Not Factories, can you kind of explain a bit more about what the purpose of the campaign is? Thanks, yeah, I appreciate that because I, I think I rushed, rushed through it. Um, yes, so I've been involved with Farms Not Factories probably for about a year now. Um, and Tracy Worcester, who started started it and is the passion behind it is just hell-bent on uh, bringing to an end uh and she's the 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 horrific cruelty involved in factory farming and specifically in this case of pigs um so the whole point is that we're trying to highlight uh to consumers the fact and and put pressure on uh the retailers and the supermarkets and the government, um, the fact that over 70% of our retailers and supermarkets are still buying uh, meat that comes from farms where animals are treated uh, horrendously and incarcerated, and in this case, it's pigs. Um, so there's what we're asking consumers is to really please take care, if you care, about the lives of these animals, about the ha them having any type of life really mm. uh, at all, is to check the labels and make sure that... Because there's this... I've, I've come across this in a couple of campaigns. There's a, a government-approved label called Red Tractor, which is... Uh, and also the farming industry have approved that. And uh, Red Tractor is... is is not doing well in terms mm. of everything I've seen. I've seen some of the most horrific scenes um, in a red tractor approved farm. Yeah, and which is sorry which, to, to yeah. interrupt, but what what are what are those scenes? Just to kind of paint a picture in terms of like what you've seen inside those factories. It's um, it's it's well they they never get out they, they never get out of the the sheds so they don't experience nature or the outside or yeah. the earth pigs are used to they need earth to scrubble around on and get the grubs out and just to, and to run around and to move around they're in these pens they're on top of each other the scenes i saw there was actually a pig eat, eating the limb of another pig Jeez. Yeah. um the place that was exposed by viva which is another it's a documentary i've made um there were dead there were dead pigs all over the place. They were, they were, 
Uh, they're in their own feces. Uh, it's hell on earth. Mm. It, it's literally hell on earth. And um, it took three attempts, three at least from Viva, in this case of the one that was closed down, um, to force um, people to come in and have a look for themselves. Uh, and the vet that was involved had to uh, had to really shout loud, um, and it, well, that would have carried on had it not been for for an animal, yeah, uh, uh, for a campaign. So we're asking consumers. The consumers can really make a difference um, by checking the labels and refusing to involve at all with anything that isn't high welfare. So the the best three in order of uh, in order of bestness are uh, free range well there's free range then there's organic free range organic is the best yeah then there's RSPCA which is not as good but it's still a whole lot better than Red Tractor mm-hmm. um, so that's the whole point of campaign and, and we won't stop and uh, it's like until and hopefully the cons- consumers will make enough of a difference so that um, people will start to realize, to pull away from investing in these, yeah. you know, and share and taking shares in these companies. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's been an interesting, just to, I'd also just like to mention it's a, because I've had some vegan friends and there may be people listening who are wondering that as a vegan, how come I'm involved in a campaign that is advocating eating High welfare meat. Yeah. And it's been a really difficult question for me. Because, and also as an environmentalist and from an environment, environmental point of view, with the demand that we have at the moment uh, for meat, if you take all the animals, suddenly take them out of their factory farms and put them into these free-range situations. Yeah. Well, the, at the moment, we've already got a third of the ice-free land is being used for animal agriculture. So this is responsible for so much of the ecocidal, uh, not just the carbon footprint, but yeah. the, the breakdown of our habitats and our ecosystems and the rainforest. And it's just horrendous. So you can't, you would, we can't take the animals out of the factory farms and uh, put them in a free-range situation if, well, I mean, we're already in a, planetary emergency yeah. I, I from the more I read the more it's very clearly obvious that the more you look the worse the worse it gets mm, yeah. in terms of the situation we're in so as an environmentalist it seems a contradiction but I cannot so that ideally it's like we we want to just we just want to the animal agriculture it's it's also the land used if it's been it's been calculated now if we use the land uh, that is used for farming yeah. and we, we take that for, for grazing animals and providing feed for the animals and we fo- reforest, it's gonna, it balances the situation. We rewild and we use those forests, we use food forests, so they're, they're food producing trees. Um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of science saying that would like do so i mean it would just kind of write our situation yeah um so yes there's a contradiction in there but i cannot 
I can't just sit by whilst we're still watching eating meat and not fight for those animals that are in those yeah. those conditions. So yes, we got to let's let's eat much less and those who are on the fence try eating try going vegan for half the week. Yeah. Um and if you're eating meat, let's get the good stuff, but ideally we've just got we've got to come off it. Yeah. And it's it's difficult. I've been I've I'm still in a whole process about it because um, it's so easy as a vegan for for people to think that you're attacking them hmm. if they're meat eaters, um, and I'm not at all attacking. Them. <laughs> I um, I'm not. It's so easy for polarization to to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm not. I don't. It's like I understand. I've been a meat eater myself, I understand. And it's a deep, deep habit as well. As a vegan, I'm not going to do myself any favors if, if I'm kind of pointing the figure, my, fingers, my finger at anybody. But all I want to do is highlight yeah. and try and expose the terrible conditions. And from a comp- try and encourage people to, just to engage with the process of how the meat gets to the table. And... Um, and think about it and do some research and kind of go into, go into the heart. And I was actually going to say like the, what you were saying about if people take more care in terms of mm. eating vegan half the week. Yeah. Like this is kind of like a bit of a personal journey I've been on recently because I, I think I've seen you earlier how um, since the start of November I've been eating vegetarian. Yeah. And like you said, there's a big deep-rooted habit in terms of eating meat and you know like the you know yeah. back in the day it was like you have to have your two meat and veg and no meat and two veg and yeah. all of that sort of stuff yeah and I, I thought that eating vegetarian i didn't think it was gonna be difficult i thought i'd be able to, i'd be doable for a month that was my original setup was i'll do it for a month yeah and to be totally honest once you kind of get into it which took like a week or so I haven't even missed eating meat, you know? And it's mm. like, I've been, I've been out to restaurants and I've, you know, people have ordered like steaks or burgers or, or you know, whatever. Yeah. And I've been to like Turkish restaurants where they've got the grill and they've got like the meat there. And I've kind of just been looking at it like, I don't even really fancy that anymore. I just, yeah. and I think it is breaking that habit down, like you said. And whether that's, you know, you only eat meat on a weekend and during the week you eat vegetarian mm. or vegan or, or however you want to treat it. You know, or you just eat, you know, your breakfast and your and your, your lunch are vegan slash vegetarian, and then your dinners are a bit more relaxed. Then I feel like it is just once you get past that boundary of it, it does make more sense, and then you start to you start to bring the compassion into it yourself in terms of like, yeah, oh, we're eating animals, oh, that's where they're coming from, yeah, oh, that's how they're treated, and I think there's a lot of great stuff that's kind of been circulated in a minute so there's like, I don't know have you seen the Game Changers documentary on Netflix I haven't seen the Game Changers no so that's oh, I won't go into the depths of it but it's a super interesting documentary about um, the, the health benefits to a plant based diet uh-huh. versus a meat eating diet mm. and there's a lot of like interesting experience they do in it with like uh, a fire a fire department in New York they, they do an experiment on some athletes um, and there's also then 
within it the kind of environmental benefits of mm. a plant-based diet and it's just super interesting it's really well done and it's it's kind of become a bit of a you know a viral documentary in a way i'll have to see that i think a lot of stuff like that is helping the conversation yeah do you know what i mean and totally and i, and I was wondering from your kind of perspective if there's any other like reading or watching or recommended resources that people can go to if they if they are interested or if they just even if you've got that slight inquisitiveness and you're a bit like me and you're like oh do you know what? i might try it for like a month or two weeks whatever you want to do if there's stuff that you would recommend people can check out to kind of read more about or see more about the kind of benefits both you know health-wise and, and environmentally as well definitely uh it's a good question so, so i would in terms of uh, if you haven't seen what the health have you seen what the health no 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 I okay that could finish you off I yeah think that, <laughs> i think that could turn you completely i'm on the edge already yeah um but not just from the point of view of awakening your compassion and uh but in terms of the the forces and the investment and the power around the uh, animal agriculture industry uh and the lengths they are willing to go to to keep it alive mm. is quite extraordinary so what so what the health is is a game changer in itself i know a lot of people who who that was it as soon as they saw it yeah um um, and I've just I've just put my name as an executive producer to a film called Prayer for Compassion, yeah. which is made by the same it has the same production company as What the Health. So What the Health you can find on Netflix. Yeah. Prayer for, Com for Compassion is just um, going around the circuit, and you can get it on Vimeo on demand. It's, okay. I think it's only a couple of quid. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's a guy who's like a very kind of uh, strong Christian and he's chomping away on his um, meat and two veg and then starts thinking about that and starts... I think he saw what the health... Mm. And um, and then he realised that, hang on, as a Christian uh, and all faiths are... The one thing that they share is that they're supposed to be rooted in compassion. So um, why are we having, you know... Why are we, you know, why are we going ahead and uh, in involving in this in this industry, which is is one of the probably the most un uncompassionate industry on the planet? So uh, that's definitely worth, yeah. Especially if there's any, if you've got any faith or religion, yeah, yeah. or even if you haven't, it's definitely worth it. It you because uh, again, it gives you a real insight into mm. into. Uh, it's funny. I I went into. Uh, there was this, I was just thinking the other day that there's this, there's a story I used to I read once, and there was quite a lot of conspiracy theory around stories like this that there are these aliens who have got these tunnels in places under the earth, yeah. and they it's like where a lot of the missing people end up, and they end up basically using our flesh. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard anything like that, no. but they're basically incarcerated. And brought to a certain point where they're just being used for their flesh. And I remember reading this. There was a book. I can't remember what, that, what it was. But it's one of the most hor horrific scenarios. It's like imagine if an alien species came and was uh, f farming us. Yeah. And yet, that's what we're doing. Mm. I, the other... Um, I just went to India and 
I was asked by some local activists to go to a vigil at a local dairy. And um, I'd never done anything like that before. I've yeah. seen in, you know, um, in documentaries and in ones I've been involved with, you know, doing voiceovers, I've seen the horror. And, uh, but I've not, be, I've not been present. So I went along with them, these really wonderful, uh, passionate young activists. And I thought, oh, it's a, f and they said it was a family da dairy. And I thought that's going to be, that'll be nice, you know, it'll be sweet. Kind of yeah. just, the idea is you go along and you just bear witness and give love to the animals. And we turned up uh, in, and there were 15 in the family, 15, there were about 12 kids and three adults there. And uh, they lived above their animals. And we went, we went down into this, into this uh, room, this concrete room where the cow, there's about 12 cows under there. And I, they, it's like they couldn't, they were so stressed that they couldn't, they, they couldn't just relax and receive our love and they were all tied up, uh, so tight they were barely choking. Yeah. They had, they couldn't, and the, and the ropes were so tight that they couldn't, they, they were, you could tell they were never, and we asked, it's like they never get to lie down. So they're Jeez. constantly yeah. on these ropes with a trough in front of them. And, uh, you know, that, that, the, in India, the, uh, the cow is the holy, yeah. it's the holy cow. Mm. Uh, and I, it's like I will never, this, this calf I went, I, uh, I went to, and all she wanted was, it's like she was just trying to get, she wanted yeah. a mum. Yeah. She was like, are you, and she, and her mother was three rows along and, the, and couldn't get to her. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't ever want to forget it because that's, it's such a, well, it's very real, but it's a, it's, it's metaphor for, I guess in a way, the way we've separated us, ourselves from our mother nature and from mm. that, from that suffering that we can, and that's, that and worse is happening all over our country. It's being incentivized still yeah. by our government. So, um, but it, unless it's very hard, you know, I hadn't been there. So even having seen films, it still didn't touch the yeah. reality of these creatures, ceaseless suffering. Because you imagine all oh, the, they'll have good bits and bad bits. They'll have times where they're kind of get a wandering around. Then they never, they never go outside. Yeah. A lot of the, the pigs, they never go outside. Um, but we 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 desensitize ourselves, and uh, when but once you let you, you let yourself into it, I don't believe any. You know, I don't. We were in in, I was in India again. We asked. We were we were in a school, and we asked this this class of forty kids, would it, would any any of you um, cause suffering to an innocent animal? And they were like, no. Mm. But that's. And uh, that's all veganism is. Yeah. It's just not wanting to be part of that suffering and recognizing that it does go on. And uh, the meat industry doesn't want us to recognize that that's going on. Yeah. It's just the way it they're, is. they're losing out of their pockets, aren't they? Essentially. It's, the, it's, it's one is of the biggest. Ridiculous. Yeah. 
it's it's one of the biggest and it's the worst environmental thing on the planet yeah um so that's a good one um two other in terms of the whole situation that we've been talking about uh and how to yeah how to contend with it how can we be in these times and uh whilst being real and staying awake to the situation um without it being is there's there's a few there's a couple of things i've been reading i'd love to recommend and one is a heartbreaking breakingly beautiful book called braiding sweetgrass by robin kimmerer braiding sweetgrass and if that she's from she's got um indigenous american indian roots and also some irish and welsh in there so she's got a mix in her butt she uh she's got the stories from her people as we were speaking of before you know and and they um they still have that connection to their practices of gratitude and respect for nature mm. and as they have been telling us for now hundreds yeah. of years you know if we lose that connection then we're going to lose the whole thing it's going to be the you know the whole well what the very thing we're facing into now is what they have been warning us about so her book is completely heartening it's so beautiful and it's heartbreaking but it calls in it calls on your heart to make that reconnection um in terms of uh then there's a jo- the Joanna Macy books uh, we we were talking about and then there's one I'm listening to at the moment which is Naomi Klein you, have you heard of Naomi Klein no I haven't no and she's written this book called on fire and uh in terms of again getting an insight uh into the hold the hold that the corporate uh, there's a lot on the oil industry and how they will not it, it, it's like the, these these uh, companies that w- will do anything at all cost they are the most desensitized of all because of what they're involved yeah. in it's similar to i heard the other day that um you know the people that work in abattoirs and slaughterhouses they have the highest crime rate oh, really the highest rate of um murder and and assault when they're out of those which makes sense because mm. they've had to de- they've they're exposed to it as, they've had to yeah. desensitize themselves yeah. from life so it's a similar situation with the oil, oil companies you know what they're what they're um, inflicting on the planet that you know the exxon oil the shell disaster that happened whenever it was five six years ago yeah about that thing yeah like um and this, you know, the fact that they said, oh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't even need safety precautions because there's no way this is going to fail. Mm. And she goes into the details, for instance, of that. And you get an insight into uh, how, how they will not, they will not step down unless we make them. And however, unless we make our government take away. And there's a way you can do it because once the shareholders start pulling away, uh, yeah. um, that's going to make it happen but so it's it's so important the part we have to play in that because they're not going to do it by themselves because yeah. 
they literally have have you know they have to cut themselves off from their conscience yeah um anyway that's uh naomi klein on fire is a very powerful very powerful book yeah cool thank you for those i think i'll definitely be checking them all out and i'll i'll try and link them all up in the show notes as well so people can find them easily cool. um so so what else then do you feel that we can do as an individuals because sometimes i feel like half of the battle is that it just seems so overwhelming yeah. like it's such a big drastic change that obviously needs to happen mm. for many you know hundreds of reasons mm. And I feel like because it seems so overwhelming, people yeah. just get complacent with it. So what are the kind of things, and I know we've talked about the labels and you know how you can potentially adjust your diet to help the situation, but is there anything else that we can do as individuals to help the situation? Not just you know, from the factory farming point of view, mm. but the, you know, the wider scale environmental point of view. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's, there is, I mean, and it, it's the biggest, I'm sure it's, you know, the biggest question on a lot of people's minds at the moment. And I'm contending with it every day. Yeah. So I would, I can only talk about my own experience. You know, I've gone through a period where I was kind of frozen. I don't know if I spoke about that earlier. Um, uh, because I felt overwhelmed, I think, and then I came across Joanna Macy, which, who really helped to set a context. Um, it's so good to, to speak to people, um, to gather and speak about how you feel. Mm -hmm. Being real about how you feel and, and allowing the grief to flow. We spoke about that earlier, didn't we, I think? Yeah. Um, Spending some time, I would say, uh, spending some time each morning and uh, to connect. Um, the practice of gratitude is so important, as, as I also I think we spoke about, uh, to keep that connection open mm -hmm. um, with nature, with, uh, with the natural world. And to act just to realize that every you know there's a, there's kind of some ecological science coming in you know proving that every everything every action that happens on the planet has an effect affects mm. the whole which means uh which means our daily lives yeah um so just on small local levels there's a friend of mine who who, uh, in you know, in in on a peninsula in in Wales, in our in our little local town, she's every Friday, which is I think when the it's related to the school strikes, so it's in kind of in support of the children who are coming out. But every Friday, she just said, "Let's get together and read something together, and yeah. come and read inspiring stuff about this." Um, that's so I think in your local communities and in your local groups uh, it's really important to get together and be vulnerable mm. you know have a sharing circle uh, and 
I'd say meditation, as we've spoken about. Yep. It's really good just to get to to come out of the out of. Otherwise, you can stress out and and feel, like you say, overwhelmed. So come into you know to come into because the the resilience, and the compassion, is there. You know that's a. It's a kind of that's another if you like a. Spiritually, scientifically proven thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, there in our hearts. So, uh, yeah, and and to have compassion for ourselves that you know that 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 it, this is difficult. It's the most challenging, you know. It's the most challenging thing. So just to uh, to look after yourself within that, and uh, let yourself off the hook, and realize you don't have to save the world in a day uh, and that it's actually what I've found you know it's when we're uh, desensitizing ourselves and uh, distracting ourselves from what is happening that we're not actually going to be able to live joyfully with each other yeah. uh, and to see this as an extraordinary opportunity because I think it is well, it is an incredible opportunity for us to turn to create the world we want to yeah. we're longing for um, rather than and, and you know I'm, it's, so I, I think it's, it's we have to treat it like, like a real practice of loving, of loving ourselves as well uh, to just be awake to when we're uh, desensitizing and avoiding and lean back into saying yes in relationship to all of our day, setting intention at the beginning of the day of how, okay, how do I want this day to be? How, you know, how do I want to walk through it? Um, I have to do that every morning. Otherwise, I can find myself, I, I will just be taken by the day and my mind and and life um, but this is it this is our this is the only chance we got so um, it is a wonderful opportunity um, to be part of the shift to be part part of the great turning yeah for sure I think like we said earlier it's it, it, it's you know we've got the power now to educate yeah the next generation as well and I think that's that's where the real power lies is that the education on, on that next generation I think the more we can do now you know for ourselves the more we'll be able to pass that on to them you know so I think that's super super important I think that's you know depending on because we are obviously as uh that's something you can it's like it's a wonderful thing to do it's like you can feel overwhelmed or you can think okay I want to go and uh, mm. work with some young people or yeah. or the young people that you know or just the ones in your family. It's like engage with them, you know. Um, find a way of getting getting off the screens and set up something in nature. You know, the young people that you know or your kids. Nurture them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's so much positive... Uh, positive stuff to do and uh, yeah 
Awesome. Well, look, um, I've got one final question for you, which is, what is your definition of happiness? Or what does happiness mean to you? What does happiness mean to me? God, that's a difficult question. Um, I, well, I kind of... I know I can't be happy unless I'm present with what is. And uh, I think being, being fully present and centered and leaning consciously engaging with consciously engaging with the present livingness of things is what is where joy for me comes from rather than any maybe one thing making me happy but it's it's being awake really and uh, and saying yes to life yeah that's where happiness lies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, I think that's great. And, you know, for me, similarly, happiness, you, I think you have to look inward yeah. to find it instead of, like, searching for things kind of outside of yourself. Yeah. And I think when you learn to do that, through, you know, the things you were just talking about, like meditation and yeah. setting intentions and stuff, you kind of, you fall into it and yeah. you feel it, you know, deeply, which is, you know, amazing, really. Well, well, that's right. For, um, from going exactly because from going inward, you there you're finding that place of communion with life and uh, not being separate from the rest of life, and that's so. That's where happiness is. I mm. think that's where really real joy is. Is in uh, yeah that that communion with life yeah for sure mm. well yeah look this has been incredible it's been a very uh, amazing and inspirational chat for sure um so i appreciate your time for being here and for being so open and sharing your kind of compassion and opening your heart for us which is i think super you know inspiring like i said well thanks alex so there's not um yeah there's not many situations i'm in publicly where i feel comfortable enough to do this so uh, uh thank you for for your yeah. compassionate heart and your openness thank you and and before we sign out can you just let uh, people know who are listening where they can keep up to date with you and your work and your activism where can they find you online if they can find you online <laughs> yeah um yeah i am i'm a bit of a reluctant uh, social media chat but I am just starting to engage more so there's a Twitter account where I kind of post a lot of the campaign stuff and I am I think I'm going to set up some kind of a blog and uh, maybe a website and get more uh, real with uh, the fact that yeah with so that I can keep people in touch and also get get more action in terms of the campaigns mm. yeah. um, uh, so but for now, there's a Twitter and a Facebook there, um, which I'm going to be. And I'm, I'm, I actually just started writing a book, so. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, hopefully, be up to. That'll be out. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again, and like I said, massively appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Real pleasure. 
So there we have it, guys. That was Jerome Flynn. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed that. I know that I certainly did. And we were both so in that conversation. It was unbelievable. We had like a really nice moment afterwards where we were just sort of chatting and it was just a really nice, calming vibe in, in, in the studio. And it was just really, really nice to be part of such a powerful and, and hopefully impactful conversation and to see the work that Jerome's doing outside of you know his his acting work it, it's incredible because you know people like him need to be the voice of these kind of campaigns to to, to help spread the message essentially and it, it, you know it's something that he's deeply passionate about which i'm sure came across and as i said it's something that i'm really trying to go through myself as a journey and i'm trying to understand more about it and you know there'll be more conversations further down the line on the podcast where we'll be speaking to people in similar veins and just i'm trying to get more of an understanding for myself and you know, I hope that you guys can really take value in those conversations. And as ever, if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode or would find it interesting, then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's important we share this message. It's important we get these positive vibes out there. You know, I started this podcast to help inspire positive change in you. And you can also be a part of that by sharing the love with someone you know. As ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at I am Alex Manzi if you want to hit me up, if you want to say hey, if you want to you know suggest some guests or some topics you want to hear on the podcast and i'm all for it i'm always so be sure to hit me up there and as ever thanks for listening i will see you for the next episode this podcast is produced by unedited